Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, over the course of the next several weeks, Hancock County's Be Healthy Now Coalition is conducting a survey on the quality of life in our community. It's all connected to the new comprehensive Community Health Improvement Plan. We'll learn more. Also this morning, America's small businesses are the lifeblood of the economy, and a new report examines their resiliency from nearly three years of unprecedented challenges from the pandemic to the labor shortage to skyrocketing inflation. And getting their license is an exciting rite of passage for teenagers, but parents know it also carries some major risks. How to discuss rights and responsibilities to keep your new driver safe on the road. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, September 8th, 2022. If you need a reason to celebrate today, it is National Date Nut Bread Day, (laughs) International Literacy Day, National Actors Day. Uh, So if someone gives you some date nut bread, you can act like you are very appreciative because it's date nut bread today. Um, National Ampersand Day, Uh, National Star Trek Day. It was on uh, this day that uh, Star Trek debuted, right? Uh, The television show Star Trek debuted on NBC on this date in 1966. It wasn't a huge success in its original run, but it has spawned how many spinoffs and how many movies now? This whole Star Trek franchise began on this date, 1966. It is also Virgin Mary Day, World Physical Therapy Day, and National Pledge of Allegiance Day. So reasons to celebrate today. So I don't know if you've been following this story. Uh, The state of Texas has been shipping, uh, not shipping, they've been busing uh, illegal immigrants to, from their decidedly red state to decidedly blue cities, including New York City and Washington, D.C., and there are a couple of others. I think Chicago, um, I think Seattle or something. Anyway, it started with New York City and Washington, D.C., and now they've been uh, shipping these migrants, uh, shipping, I keep saying that, they've been busing these migrants uh, to these uh, other cities. Basically, they're telling uh, blue cities, they're telling liberals, if if you want, quote-unquote, open borders, then you deal with all of the uh, people that are flooding across the border. So... So I thought it was uh, interesting, the uh, story here, and I don't know if you heard about this. Uh, Apparently now they are looking for donations to help defray the cost of busing those migrants (laughs) to those blue cities. The website uh, for the Office of the Governor of Texas, Greg Abbott's uh, website, uh, has a message or had a message. I was looking this morning and apparently it's no longer there. I don't know if there was uh, some backlash uh, to this or not, but apparently there was a, a message telling visitors to the website they can donate online or by mail. This was a report in the Washington Examiner said the state has racked up almost $7 million in costs for busing and security uh, as of mid-July, and we are now coming up on uh, mid-September, so obviously it's been much more since then. Uh, So far, uh, they have collected just over $118,000 in public donations, but it's going against a cost of over $7 million. So just a pittance. Uh, Governor Abbott has been sending migrants to D.C. and New York City in response to what he says is President Biden's continued uh, continued refu- refusal to acknowledge the crisis caused by his open border policies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, I saw that uh, story the other day, uh, and I, I just chuckled about that. They're basically the state of Texas setting up a GoFundMe. <laughs> <laughs> to send their migrants to the uh, these blue cities, but uh, apparently that uh, that donate button has been uh, removed. I did not see it when I looked uh, this morning. I thought it was uh, interesting, nonetheless. Uh, a couple of other uh, interesting and uh, unusual stories, buzzworthy stories in the news. Uh, so, new school year is underway, and we know that there is a teacher shortage nationwide. That has been one of the Uh, news stories, the news narratives going into this new school year is that nationwide we have a teacher shortage. Well, the superintendent of one San Francisco area school district has 
an unusual request as part of the solution. He says he wants to let teachers rent rooms in the homes of parents in the district. He's asking parents, basically, to put up uh, the, the teachers at school. Due to the high cost of living in the Bay Area, most teachers would not qualify for a lease on a typical one-bedroom apartment, which averages over $3,000 per month. And that's probably a conservative average. I'm sure that it actually is much higher than that in most places. Uh, The superintendent of this uh, school district in the Bay Area, Cheryl Jordan, says, we have lost out on some employees that we tried to recruit to our schools because once they see how much it costs to live here, they determine that it's just not possible. They just can't take the job based on what the school district is paying. And believe it or not, so far, 34 families have shown interest in helping out. I I would think that that would present a uh, real interesting potential conflict of interest. You know what I mean? I mean, if you are renting a room from the parents of a student, what happens if that student, I don't know, fails a big test or gets caught cheating or something else, gets into trouble in in some other way? Would you feel awkward disciplining that child or giving that child a failing grade? Or would you feel obligated to look the other way? And here's uh, an idea, just make it uh, less expensive to live in San Francisco. Maybe lower those rents a little bit. That might, <laughs> that might, or maybe they can set up a GoFundMe a la Texas and their <laughs> migrant busing. They set up a GoFundMe and have people uh, just contribute to the uh, rent fund for the teachers. There are all kinds of different ways you can do this, but uh, anyway, it's just a sad commentary. Uh, kind of the interesting uh, follow-up to a uh, story. And we were talking about this on the uh, program not all that long ago. The last of those 4,000 beagles that was rescued, that were rescued, that was rescued, that were rescued. I apologize. You linguists out there. Shame on me. I'm slapping myself in the face here. The last of the 4,000 beagles that were rescued from a facility in Virginia, research and breeding facility in Virginia, I uh, have been taken to animal shelters. Um, again, we were talking about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they were saying that this is a process that many of the beagles had been rescued, but there were others that were still uh, being housed in that facility while they found places to take them in. One hundred, the last one hundred hopeful pups were flown into Maine this week and sent to nine different shelters with the hopes of finding their forever families. Dogs are among thousands rescued from a facility that intended to sell them to animal testing labs, but were taken away after authorities found them living in inhumane conditions. The dogs uh, range from puppies to adults around five years old, all ready to become pets for the first time in their lives. And it marks the end of one of the largest canine rescue missions in U.S. history. That is cool. Uh, let's see. What else is uh, going on here? Oh, and did you uh, happen to see this? This was uh, on uh, the Tonight Show, Jimmy Fallon, on Tuesday. The former first lady, Hillary Clinton, uh, was uh, on the show. Uh, actually, I guess the the whole family. Oh, oh okay. The uh, it says the former first lady. I did not see the show. I saw the story here on the Newswire. So I had I don't know the uh, context of this whole thing, but uh, anyway, uh, Hillary Clinton, I guess, was uh, talking with Jimmy Fallon on The Tonight Show and admitted that she and her husband, the president, Clinton, uh, once left behind their daughter, Chelsea, at the Kremlin. <laughs> they, they accidentally left their daughter behind at the Kremlin. Uh, She says the family was there during her husband's presidency on a state visit to Moscow. Uh, The uh, Clintons apparently left the Kremlin and were ushered into their limo without realizing that they had left their child behind. (laughs) Um, Have you ever done that? Have you ever 
left your accidentally left your child someplace, thought they were tagging along with you, and then you turn around and look and say, hey, where did uh, where did the kid go? Um, it would be one thing to do that. That would be embarrassing on any level, but leaving your child at the Kremlin. Now, keep in mind, this was uh, back at a time when our the relations between the U.S. and Russia were you know, much better than they are now, but still, leaving your child at the Kremlin. Um, so anyway, that was, uh, <laughs> that was, uh, that's an embarrassing thing. And, uh, how about this? Uh, something to, uh, chew on, something to, uh, think about. Where did I see this story? Ah, here it is. <laughs> Kim Kardashian is opening up her own private equity firm. <laughs> Uh, Kim Kardashian is partnering with private equity veteran Jay Sammons to create a firm focusing on investments in high-growth consumer and media businesses. Well, I guess she does know all about working the media, um, but investing in it? I don't know. Uh, It says, Kim Kardashian opening her own private equity firm and her mom, Kris Jenner, will be a co-partner in the firm. I don't know about you, but I am not trusting the Kardashians with my retirement funds. You know, I just, uh, that is a hard no. <laughs> that is a hard no. And uh, frankly, if anyone who would do this is probably someone who doesn't have a whole lot of money to invest. I don't want to assume anything, but I would be guessing that uh <laughs> not going to get any real high rollers lining up to uh, invest in the Kardashian private equity fund. Anyway, there you go. Some of the more interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly to mostly sunny skies expected again today with a high of 80. It'll be mostly clear tonight, a low of 58. Local mental health and substance abuse officials are asking the public to share how addiction is affecting them and the people they love. Zach Thomas of Adamus says the Opioid and Addictions Task Force is revising its strategic plan. So we're hoping to get as much feedback as possible from our community to really inform our task force chairs to really create a comprehensive strategic plan moving forward for at least the next three or four years. He says they want to hear from the public about what's working and what isn't working in their effort to bring help, hope, and healing to people affected by addiction. Get more on the website. After confirming bird flu at two locations, the Ohio Department of Agriculture has quarantined the affected areas and removed the birds to prevent the spread of the disease. Bird flu was detected in a backyard flock in Ashland County and a commercial chicken flock in Defiance County. Now, it spreads fast. It can be fatal to chicken, turkey, pheasants, quail, ducks, and geese. And it's often spread by those wild birds. So if you have a chicken coop, the Ohio Department of Agriculture is advising to keep your birds indoors or protected from those outside animals. Onan's Monica Robbins reporting. The city council in the Columbus suburb of Upper Arlington passed an ordinance making it a crime to harass election officials. One city council member we talked to says there has been an increase in the level of threats to election officials nationwide, which led to this ordinance. The council hopes this will protect people from what's shaping up to be a contentious election. If you're thinking of disrupting an election, don't come to Upper Arlington because we take it very seriously here. This crime would be a misdemeanor with at least three days in jail. ONN's Andrew Kinsey reporting, we're two months away from Election Day. September is National Preparedness Month, and local Red Cross officials are urging everybody to get ready for emergencies now. Todd James, executive director of the North Central Ohio chapter of the Red Cross in Finley, says the Hancock Hotel in downtown Finley will be hosting a free Be Red Cross Ready presentation to help families prepare for disasters. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So now our cover story this morning. Over the course of the next several weeks, Hancock County's Be Healthy Now Coalition is conducting a survey on the quality of life in our community. I want to talk about uh, that survey, how it ties into their new comprehensive community health improvement plan and so on. A lot of things going on in the uh, public health space uh, here locally. And uh, joining us from Hancock Public Health is uh, Chad Masters. Uh, First of all, talk about the uh, Be Healthy Now 
coalition. This is uh, uh, Hancock Public Health is involved in this. Who uh, else uh, all is involved in this coalition? Yeah, it's just uh, actually a variety of organizations, obviously the mental health and other uh, community nonprofit organizations are involved and have been for a while now. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, now kind of coming back together after, you know, I would say post-pandemic, but we're, you know, things yeah. are starting to open up again. So we're uh, getting be- getting ready to get back into the community health improvement plan, getting that developed is from a from the community health assessment that was that was done, and we do that every three years. Yeah. Um, so there's a collaborative uh, effort. It's not just Hancock Public Health. As we mentioned, this survey uh, where you're asking uh, people about their perceptions of their own personal realities with respect to quality of life. What types of questions are you asking in the survey? Yeah, so a lot of the questions as it relates to quality of health and quality of life is really, you know, what type of environment do you feel that Hancock County or excuse me, yeah, Hancock County and, and Finley itself uh, give you as an opportunity to, you know, live a good life as well as raise a family here career opportunities, access to health care, those types of things, any support services you might need mm-hmm. to make your life better and easier. So these are related to health directly and then in some cases maybe sort of indirectly or you know the connection might not necessarily be obvious at first glance. Yeah, and I think a lot of that, you know, a lot of times we think of health just being physical health, mental health, but there's a lot of things that go into promoting those types of health and it's and it has a lot to do with the social determinants. And mm-hmm. Social determinants basically, you know, meaning you know, do you have uh, ha- adequate housing and access to healthcare. All those types of things that go into making a comprehensive health model is what we're looking yeah. at. Yeah. By the way, should mention that uh, the survey responses are anonymous, uh, so you know, don't want to discourage anyone from thinking, oh, they're you know checking up or with no they're all anonymous and uh, this is an online only takes a, a few minutes to uh, fill out the survey right yeah it's uh, 13 questions i think the only required question is do you live in hancock county but the rest yeah. of them we would appreciate you being able to complete and it's pretty straightforward really it's, again it's asking you you know do you feel that this is a safe community to live in do you feel that this is a community that you want to raise your children in if you're an older adult do you feel that you have access to services to make you continue to age well into your into your you know late life so a lot of those things are are pretty straightforward yeah go on and you can go to our website our social media it's it's everywhere that you can get to uh, and as we mentioned, this comes on the heels of the release of the uh, Community Health Assessment Report uh, that was out just a, a few weeks ago. And uh, Commissioner Kareem Baruti was with us uh, when that was released. We talked a little bit about uh, some of the uh, findings in that report. Talk a little bit of how this relates to that as part of a, an overarching or a big picture. Yeah, and I know that with the health assessment, really what we do, just as a quick review, is we send out their surveys that get sent out as part of that. Then the information is compiled by a third party. They give us a report. Then then we start setting priorities, and we usually pick three, typically two mm-hmm. to three priorities that will target those those areas that were ad- addressed in the community health assessment. And this is just another piece to help us uh, in in taking that information and putting it into an actionable plan. I know one of the things about the report was uh, that you see uh, some areas where uh, numbers and the results uh, were sort of skewed a bit by COVID, by the community's experience with the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, To what extent would you expect that to be the same here in this survey? Yeah, that's kind of an interesting thing. I was talking with Kareem about that the other day, that look at what our results will be, say, what we because we did a health assessment in 2018. And then, and we did another one during, you know, we were still within the pandemic. So to say, what was that? And then maybe to see what the results look like in 2025 when we do it again. So it's, it's kind of an interesting thing to see people's perspectives because we know mental health is at all time high uh, needs right now, Mm -hmm. as well as maybe the use of um, drugs or alcohol or whatever it may be. So people's perception of quality of life, that's why we want to kind of see, is it because due to the pandemic mm-hmm. you know it's kind of that if not for that yeah would we still be looking at a level playing field of 
2018 and 2025. Yeah. Is it kind of a chicken and an egg thing is right. Yeah. Uh, And, and because initially the uh, impression of the first question that comes to mind is, uh, you know, are these results skewed by COVID in such a way that it makes them less useful, but at the same time, the impact of the pandemic on uh, folks, both physical and mental health uh, certainly cannot be ignored. I mean, that is right. I think what may have happened is it may just have been, intensified or magnified Mm -hmm. uh, due to that just because we know that in the previous assessments it's mental health has been there um, obesity has been there obviously because everybody went remote during the pandemic Mm -hmm. in all likelihood some of those things were exacerbated made worse so the chances of us seeing something skewed we may have to put an asterisk next to something saying well this may have been maybe something we need to look at and mm-hmm. come back to with the next assessment to see yeah. was there a significant drop off or did it stay level that that will be really interesting the next go around to see what uh what was an accelerated trend and what was perhaps just an anomaly uh, at, at the end of the day, uh, you mentioned that among the things that we saw, and not just in this community, but statewide and even nationally, uh, in the wake of the pandemic, was a uh, a spike in uh, illicit drug use and and so on. We've we've seen that. Whether that was directly because of the pandemic uh, or, or not, maybe again too soon to tell. But uh, with respect to that, and we were talking about this in the, in the news, uh, Adamus is uh, doing an, an addiction. Uh, forum, a couple of addiction forums this week. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of also tied into all of this? I mean, when we look at big picture stuff. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that we wanted to make sure that we captured that that you know additional population. You know, that when we say subpopulation, we have the different groups that we look at, mm-hmm. and we wanted to make sure we represented that that population as well. People who are in recovery, people who are currently using drugs, to say, are you having the same you know, access to healthcare issues that other people do. And sometimes it's, it's, it's more uh, mm-hmm. because of the stigma, which we're continuing to try to, to break through. Yeah. Uh, just because people, these are people working with or, or living with, uh, you know, an addiction or they're in recovery. Yeah. So trying to capture that uh, information and see what it is that they're, they're dealing with, not just people who, um, who are not using drugs what they're dealing with yeah and and to capture all of that in a timely uh timely manner as we mentioned this survey is uh, going on what i think through the end of it's october, in, yeah, october late october yeah october 24th okay. at 5 p.m is when it closes so once you have all of that data then the results from this survey you combine that with a health a health assessment report and uh, as you mentioned you use this to sort of uh prioritize or decide uh what issues you're going to focus on uh in the community yeah and that's what we we've like I said, with the health assessment and health improvement plan, a lot of that, we try to align with what the state has, but then we also try to provide a kind of a local flavor with mm-hmm. what's really going on here to make it worth our while. Because maybe at the state level, they may have, uh, you know, resources or other things that they can uh, provide to it. But here locally, we can say, well, that's that's really not what we're seeing. We're, we're yeah. going to try to focus on something more and, pressing and, here. And so how long will that process take to sort of analyze all of the data in its totality, create that priority list, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, create some sort of action plan for that? Yeah, I know typically we look at, you know, it's usually a several month process. Mm-hmm. Of, and then from there, it gets implemented over the next, you know, couple years yeah. for us to see that. And, it, you know, it's interesting because the trends typically don't change. Like we've seen the priorities or yeah. the, the things that have identified over the last several health assessments have mostly been the same. So there hasn't been a huge shift there so that we don't have to completely do a 180 and go, oh, we're going to go completely over here now mm-hmm. because that's been taken care of. Yeah, we fixed it's, this problem and now we have this one. Yeah, it's always there and trying to keep it to a manageable level, I think, is what we're, yeah. we're hoping for. But there's always going to be at least one thing that is going to be added that is is new, but there's usually a couple foundational items. Uh, So more to come on this. And in the meantime, if you want to participate in the survey, we actually have it linked up at our webpage. You can go to goodmornings.net and uh, take the survey. As we said, it's just a handful of questions, takes just a few minutes, but uh, obviously the data uh, will be uh, quite valuable. That's correct. Yeah, so we'd appreciate any participation and, um, you know, because we really want to hear 
what you feel the quality of life here is in Hancock County. Chad Masters uh, from uh, Hancock Public Health with us this morning. Chad, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Well, as we know, small businesses make up more than 99% of all businesses in this country. They are the heartbeat of the U.S. economy, quite literally. And the past couple of years have been some of the most challenging ever. And a new report called Small Business Snapshot, United States and Canada, launching the Zero Small Business Insights program in the U.S., offers up some timely insights about the health and resiliency of these small businesses. We are joined by Chris O'Neill, his chief growth officer for Zero. Is that do I have the pronunciation right? X E R O Zero? You got it, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. And talk a little bit about some of the key findings from this new report. Sure. We have over three point three million customers all over the world. And what we do is we take a pulse of actual data from, from an aggregated view of these customers, these small business owners and operators. We look at three areas. We look at uh, their sales, like revenue, what's happening with revenue. We look at some cash flow metrics. We look at two, like how long does it take to get paid and then other late payments. And really what that provides is a, is a, is a snapshot, as we said, about just how they're doing. So what are we finding? On the top line, we're seeing some mixed news, to be clear, we saw some nice resilience on the other side of the pandemic. Top line sales growth is about 11.3%. Um, that's the good news. Uh, the bad news is that most of that, about 8%, is actually just passing on price increases from inflation to end customers. So when you really strip that away and look at just the real growth, it's somewhere in between 2 to 3%. So a bit of a mixed bag in terms of top line. And you see a little bit of bright, uh, bright spots in terms of cash flow, people getting paid faster and more efficiently than we have uh, in the past, and that seems to be a durable trend. So some some mixed news. Um, we've seen some signs of stability, but uh, certainly a bumpy and turbulent time for small businesses. No question, and that was actually going to be one of the, the questions I was going to ask. I mean, again, we frame it as you know coming out of the incredible uh, uncertainty and the uh, huge challenges uh, brought on by the pandemic, and hot on the heels of that, you've got this uh, this period of, of rising costs of higher inflation, it, it does seem like it's one whammy on top of another. Yeah, it sure does. If you go back far enough, you got trade tensions with China. We've had a whole bunch of disruptions in supply chain. Of course, we have you know, a pandemic. And now the big one is, is inflation, as you said. And you know, on Main Street, small business owners have to do with you know, two real, real big um, implications for inflation. Of course, it means that the wage costs that they employ people have gone up. Um, the price that they pay for goods that they sell, that's gone up. Um, that's a real challenge, right? So, so being adaptable and flexible, even just getting staff in some markets, and in fact, most markets is a challenge as people are hesitant to come back into the workforces in terms of certain sectors. And on the other side, of course, it's like everyone is stretching their dollars further than ever, right? Fuel costs have come off a little bit, but, uh, but near all-time highs, the cost of food, even the price to feed your dog or cat has just never been higher. So, that just leaves less, less money for discretionary income. And that's really challenging for local economies. But you know, I never bet against the scrappy, resourceful and small business owner. They're really the heroes of our local economies. And we need to do everything we can to you know, support them or have policies that really help make life a little bit easier for them. So that's what we're really hoping to make a small contribution towards. So how can these small businesses on the heels of just when it seems like you could take a deep breath and, and sort of relax coming out of the pandemic, oh, thank goodness we made it through that, now all of a sudden are faced with all of these next challenges, how do they uh, turn around then and protect themselves financially for you know, the uncertainty that lies ahead? Yeah, I'd say a few things. I think we talked about the, the revenue side. I think that's just a delicate balancing act to like, hey, how do you pass along those, those costs in the most efficient way possible without uh, dampening demand? Um, think about the cash flow side of the house. So being um, creative about, hey, how, how can you find ways to get paid quicker um, and or provide incentives perhaps to um, reduce the outflows of cash? That's, that's one thing. And to be very specific, one of the things that we've seen in addition to stimulus being somewhat beneficial for small businesses are in the embrace of tools that help them get paid faster. So whether that's if you're issuing an invoice, doing so digitally, 
um, or accepting digital payments. So these are things which we're, we're really seeing uh, notable trends to say, hey, that helps the small business owner get cash faster so they have a better or more advantaged cash flow uh, position. That's one, one um, very specific set of um, ideas. The other is, you know, it strikes me, I have kids and they, 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 they do sports on the weekend and they get more coaching than the average small business owner does. So we're fans of finding a trusted advisor that can really help guide uh, the small business owner, whether that's just a bookkeeper or accountant or someone who's just knowledgeable, who can really provide an objective uh, view to coach, coach the, the person along the way. It doesn't have to be super expensive. Um, we find that those that do are just more successful over the long run. So those are a few ideas that we have seen amongst our more successful small businesses. Just a fresh set of eyes to take a look at, uh, at things. Um, there is, whenever we talk about uh, business in general, or they're talking small business, big business, uh, any type of economics in general, a lot of the narrative, particularly right now, uh, regards public policy and uh, the policies uh, both at the state and the federal level that can help or hinder business. What public policies would be both uh, would be most beneficial, particularly for small businesses as they navigate these new challenges in the wake of having survived what they've already been through over the past couple of years. Yeah, Chris, we've seen this this program be used in other countries for many years. And uh, in the teeth of the pandemic in Australia, as an example, the government relied upon our data in, in um, as, as real time as possible to help shape the stimulus program. Um, that helps shape the, uh, the payroll protection programs in their country. Um, you know, other things that, that we would like to see is like, hey, how, how do we have more favorable like opening hours? Like oftentimes some of the larger businesses were allowed to open and small businesses were not. I thought that was a little unfair. Um, we talked about a couple of things like digital things. Um, I, I'd like to also see more aggressive uh, stances in terms of late payments. I think it's really unfair for small businesses to have to put up with being paid late. That's effectively an unfunded loan that uh, they have to reach into their pocket to afford. So, you know, really making it less favorable or, or, or punishing um, those who, who pay small businesses late. Those are some ideas that we've seen, but uh, more generally, we've seen this report find its way into, you know, the OECD, some global reports. We see academics really studying just the impact of the local economies and how beneficial they are. So these are some of the ideas. And, you know, most exciting to us is, this is the first time we've seen them in the United States, this report in the United States. So hopefully we see some creative policymakers and you know, put this real-time data to good use. It is shape policies that just make life easier for small businesses. It is the small business uh, snapshot launching the Zero Small Business Insights Program in the U.S. Chris O'Neill is chief growth officer for Zero. Where do uh, folks go to look at the full small business snapshot report? Yeah, Chris, they can jump on their favorite search engine and type in zero, and that's spelled with an X, zero small business insights. And there, uh, this dedicated landing page, you can see the full report, which goes into much more detail than we have time for today. And they can even download the raw data if they're so inclined. So uh, we'll be publishing it every three months. And really, really grateful to you for uh, making this service, uh, this report available to your to your listeners. It is uh, interesting and a fascinating look at uh, the state of small businesses, the health of small business, the resiliency of small business today. Chris, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Chris. Thank you very much for having me. 20 years of good mornings on WFIN. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. I feel like this is something that would only happen in America. (laughs) You know, at the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament on Tuesday, two men had had to be removed from the gallery at Arthur Ashe Stadium because one of the men began to give the other man a haircut during the match. (laughs) I feel like that would never happen at the Australian Open. It would never happen at Wimbledon. Only in America would (laughs) one man begin giving another man a haircut in the middle of the match. Uh, Nick Kyrgios and uh, Kieran... Uh, catch 
Kachanov. I hate tennis players' names because I can never get them right. But anyway, they were uh, playing in their quarterfinal match when the offensive grooming occurred. The uh, One of the men had uh, clippers and a cape, you know, just like you would have at the salon, and whipped that out and began giving the guy a haircut in the middle of the match. Uh, the U.S. Tennis Association says they were escorted out of their seats and then off the grounds for disruption of play. <laughs> no word on the man whether the man uh, got to uh, finish his haircut. But not during the match. <laughs> Never see that at Wimbledon. <laughs> you just wouldn't. <clears throat> uh, dispelling myth that uh, dumb things only happen in this country. In Australia, uh, a university student newspaper, the University of Queensland, is causing quite a stir with a recent article that they posted, they, they uh, printed it in the paper, and they posted on the student paper website. Uh, this article is entitled, get this, the headline, The Subtle Art of Shoplifting. Yes, that's right. The Subtle Art of Shoplifting. The anonymous writer, the piece was published on Saturday, the University of Queensland student newspaper, the anonymous writer called the act Free Shopping. It's not shoplifting. It's free shopping or frifting and said it was a legitimate action for the working class to take. Mm hmm. Some public officials have condemned the article and asked for it to be removed from the website, withdrawn from the paper. But the editor in chief of the student newspaper, William Kugelman, refuses he says that the paper stands by the decision to publish the hypothetical shoplifting guide. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Wonder if they're going to pay for all of the things that uh, people get caught pilfering as a result of the article. I don't feeling probably not. All right. <clears throat> you know the old saying, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. What happens when you are fooled a fourth time? What happens when you are fooled a fourth time by your own daughter? A 30-year-old Spanish woman has been arrested for faking her kidnapping for the fourth time and scaring her mother into paying a hefty ransom each and every time. <laughs> well, if you've got something that works, you just go with it. The latest... Kidnapping or fake kidnapping included a video of the young woman blindfolded with fake blood in the corner of her mouth, begging her mother to pay her kidnappers $50,000. She claims she was beaten and starved. They've kidnapped me, mommy, and I don't know why the woman howls in the video as someone holds purportedly holds a knife to her throat. And again, this is all faked now. Uh, you can't say anything to the police. If you do, they'll kill me. The mother feared for her daughter and quickly withdrew the funds, as she had done at least three times before, according to authorities. They say the mother had received three letters threatening her daughter's life, so she dutifully paid the $50,000 ransom. And now, this 30-year-old woman and five others have been arrested for the scheme. Uh, apparently the others involved were her boyfriend and his family <laughs> involved in this whole thing. Uh, police say they found the group and the supposedly kidnapped woman in perfect health at a, uh, just enjoying the slots at a local casino. <laughs> That's what they were doing with the ransom money. They're gambling it away in the slot machines at the casino. Uh, authorities also found the items used to stage the alarming video. Uh, everybody has been charged with extortion and several other offenses. They could uh, each land between one and five years behind bars for the uh, incident. <laughs> I'm guessing mom's not getting them a Christmas gift. <clears throat> Four times they pulled this off. Wow. Here's another one of those uh, 
late returned library books story in, uh, uh, let's see here, Lincoln City, Nebraska. Uh, the library there finally reunited with a book they thought was lost to time. Charlie Adams had uh, had taken out Sabbatical, a romance by author John Barth in August of 1983 and never returned it. Until now, librarians were shocked to see the book returned some 14,153 days past due. And not only was the book returned, they also got a check to cover the late fees. In case you're curious, it was about 58 bucks. Um, the uh, individual who had the book, Charlie Adams, also wrote an apology letter to the library that explained why he was returning the book, saying he found it when he was packing up for a move. And he said it seemed to be a good time to get it back where it belongs. He said he had moved around the time that he had taken out the book, and it was mistakenly put into a moving box where it stayed for nearly 40 years. Uh, I would note that the book stayed on a shelf or in a box on numerous occasions when the scofflaw who's possessed it for nearly 40 years has visited relatives in Lincoln, Nebraska. He, he lives actually in Montana now. Uh, but uh, he said he's visited a number of times to the area and he had the opportunity to bring it back to you in person, but he was too embarrassed. As for the fate of the book, the library administrator, Sarah Dale, says the novel will be retired due to its age and its condition. But she says the book has lived an adventurous life. It's fun to communicate with folks who remember us fondly enough to send our stuff back. <laughs> she said that is not the oldest overdue book to be returned, but it's right up there. So kind of interesting. And finally, in the broken news this morning, we mentioned yesterday on the program that this is a sure sign of life returning to normal post-pandemic. The Mormons are out going door-to-door. The Jehovah's Witnesses are going door-to-door once again uh, with their evangelism. Uh, so here is a way, if you have kind of enjoyed the fact that they've not been knocking at your door proselytizing um this is your opportunity to make sure <laughs> that they don't uh that you uh, continue to live in peace if you want to stop mormon missionaries from ringing your doorbell and uh telling you why you should join them and to save your soul get yourself an lgbt positive doormat <laughs> 20 year old uh, 28 year old uh, jamie faust uh, bought a doormat in June from Target uh, that uh, basically had the you know the uh, LGBT rainbow and 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 so on and uh, put that and it you know it was a welcome mat uh, saying that everyone was welcome at their home should put that uh, in their front door and it turns out the small decoration is a big defense against religiously motivated door knockers in Indiana where they live. Uh, where she lives, anyway. The uh, doorbell camera captured two smartly dressed Jehovah's Witnesses climbing out of their car, approaching their door. The missionaries look down and see the mat, and one one of them says, nope, and they turn around and get right back in their vehicle and leave. <laughs> so, Jamie posted that online as, <laughs> as a public service, says, if you want to uh, make sure that you are not disturbed... <laughs> This is the way to do it. Eureka! <laughs> there you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. Uh, this uh, update of the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Oktoberfest Finley is back September 24th from 2 to 10.30 downtown. This family-friendly festival has become one of the largest single-day events in Hancock County. It includes live traditional German music and entertainment, a variety of contests, authentic German food from vendors like Schmidt's Sausage House, the Kinderplatz Kid Zone, and a selection of more than 40 domestic and German beers. Admission is $5 for 21 and over, $3 under 21. Visit OktoberfestFinley.com for more info. This message provided by WFIN. 
And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. If you are over the age of 55, odds are that you only have four friends that you can truly count on. That's it, just four. This is the sobering finding from a new poll of 2,000 Americans in the 55-plus age group sheds light on the problem of loneliness and social inactivity among older older adults in this country. In fact, the survey finds that one in five adults age 55-plus feel lonely more than half of the week. Uh, 19% say they feel lonely more than half of the week. Three in four, 77%, admit that their social circle has shrunk as they have gotten older, which makes sense. You know, we get older, friends pass on, and it's harder to find new friends to take their place. And sometimes we don't even want to. Nearly half of respondents, 48%, share that they have stopped being friends with at least three people in the last two years alone. Politics might have something to do with that, sadly. However, the survey conducted by one poll commissioned by Lifetime uh, also finds that 83% feel it is never too late in life to create fulfilling relationships. In their later years, people want to focus on spending time with friends and family. 52% say that's a priority. 40% uh, prioritize traveling. And 39% say improving their overall health is a uh, big uh, priority for them in their later years. And of interesting stuff there. Something to think about and how it relates to our own lives. Well, of course, back to school means more young people driving, uh, whether that's to and from class, of course, and extracurriculars, study sessions with friends, and so on and so forth. And, of course, each year, a whole new class of teens getting behind the wheel as well. It is an exciting step toward independence for teenagers. For their parents, often not so much. Uh, Joining us this morning is parenting and lifestyle expert Amanda Mushrow. And Amanda, the reason why parents uh, are, are often nervous when their kids start driving is obviously because we know that they are high-risk drivers, and there are actually a couple of reasons why that is so. Right. When we look at our teen drivers and we compare them to drivers of all other ages, our, our teens, they're not the best drivers. And you know, it's not really their fault. They just don't have the same experience behind the wheel. But there was a study that was done and it found that drivers between the ages of 15 to 20, they're 33% more likely to be in a fatal car crash. And Mm. this is such a shocking statistic, especially for parents of these new drivers. So it just really goes to show that we need to give our kids the time to practice those basic driving skills and also to learn the laws of the state they live in. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like you said, part of it is they don't know what they don't know. And then also just by very nature of the fact that they're teenagers, they're still developing those critical thinking skills and those decision-making skills and so on. So part of it has to do with just the fact that they are teenagers on top of the fact that they are inexperienced drivers. So with all of that in mind, what are some ways that we can, what are some tips that we can offer and how do we present that to our young drivers in such a way that they will actually pay attention to it? So I am a big fan of the parent teen driver contract. I have friends that have used this with their teen drivers. It's definitely something I plan on using with my three kids. And what it is, it is a contract between you and your teen. And this is where you lay out all of your expectations for what you want to see happen and not happen when your teen is driving. And this opens up all sorts of conversations about using their cell phones, about who should be in their car, who should not be in their car. You can talk about their speeding, when they should be driving, curfews. Most teen accidents are going to happen at night. So you can talk about this is why I have set this particular curfew. You can talk about what works in your house, 
Maybe what's worked for one of their friends is not what's going to work in, in for you. And it really opens up that communication. And again, it gives you a chance to talk to your teen about the importance of never drinking and driving. But also if they ever find themselves in a situation where they're not safe, where they, they need help, that they feel comfortable calling you. And so with this contract, you're just opening up that communication between you and your little one who is not so little anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, the other part of this rite of passage that parents don't look forward to is the big jump in their auto insurance rates. And again, a lot of reasons for that. Are, are there ways that parents can save money when it comes to insuring a teen driver? Definitely. So your rates are going to go up because these teens are riskier drivers. But if you're looking to save money now, you can actually head over to autoinsurance.com slash teens. It is an awesome resource for looking at different policies and how you can save money. They'll give you different tips and tricks for bundling your insurance, where you need coverage, where you can kind of cut back. And you can even call their hotline. They have a perfect policy connectors. And these are people who are experts at looking at policies at different companies and finding what's a good fit for you and your family and your budget. So I love anything that makes my life a little bit easier. So if someone can look at the different policies and say, this one's a good fit and we're going to add more coverage here. Maybe we don't need as much coverage at this place. And the website even has the template for the contracts I talked about earlier, the mm. parent driver contract. So I don't even have to like create that. I can literally go on there and just print it off and I can save money on my insurance. So for me, that is a win-win. It's a big change, big time uh, for teenagers and their parents. Again, uh, parenting and lifestyle expert uh, Amanda Mushro with us uh, this morning. Where do we get more information? Let's mention again the website. Sure. Head on over to autoinsurance.com slash teens. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, of course, and that is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, would you be shocked to learn that youth sports is now a bigger industry than the NFL? It's true, and that's not necessarily a good thing, but is it too late to take back the game? Until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.